The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately as he came out of the water, he saw the heavens were open to him and the spirit of God descending on him like a dove and coming to rest upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let us pray. Father, we believe that all Holy Scripture is written for our learning, and so we pray by your Spirit now that we would be able to so hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest this, your Holy Word, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for the sake of the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Why was Jesus baptized? I mean, of all the people that needed to be baptized, why was Jesus baptized? We're told in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 3, our text for this morning on this Sunday, the baptism of the Lord. We're told that John would have prevented him. John the baptizer would have prevented Jesus being baptized. And it seems for good reason. Because of all the people in the world, Jesus is the one guy that doesn't seem to need baptism. John knows this, and as we read scripture, we know this. Hebrews chapter 4, 15. Jesus, the eternal son of God, become flesh became like us, was tempted like us in every way, yet without sin. Fully God, fully man, without sin. So why is Jesus coming for baptism? Why do we have this celebration at the beginning of every year? Every year, the first Sunday after Epiphany is baptism of the Lord. We make a big deal of it. It's baptism of the Lord. It's a high holy feast. You know, I put on special Vestments today, you know, like we say sometimes, more lace, more grace. <laughs> the more the layers, the more the prayers. No, I mean, that's a, that's a stupid thing to say. But the truth is, we dress up, we're having a big feast day for the baptism of the Lord, right? Why? Why was Jesus baptized? You know, it's interesting. When you read what the later New Testament writers will reflect upon this moment. We suddenly get a glimpse of why Jesus was baptized. Paul in Galatians chapter three, verse 27, says, do you not know that all of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ? All of us who've been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That what is going on in Jesus' life is suddenly now going on in my life and your life. That because of baptism, we don't just have waters cleanse us, but we have Jesus' own life placed upon us. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it? 
I mean, at the end of the day, what we're really saying is that Jesus wasn't baptized for his own sake. He didn't need to be baptized. He was baptized for our sake to show us what our baptism really means. Those who have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's a sameness there, a oneness there. You know, it's interesting. We see sometimes glimpses of God's glory written intentionally into the fabric of the universe, fabric of creation. We see it all over the place the more and more we study creation. It's fascinating. The 1930s, Einstein came up with a theory that at the time he thought was crazy, everyone thought it was crazy, and has yet now been proven in these most recent years. It's called quantum entanglement. Now, I'm not a physicist, nor do I understand most of physics. I've just watched Marvel movies about Ant-Man and the Wasp and the quantum verse. But I'll tell you, for those of you who understand quantum mechanics and the way the universe works this way, in the 30s, Einstein posited that you could actually have something called entanglement, quantum entanglement, where two particles completely separate from one another at whatever distance away from one another would be so entangled with each other that despite the distance, whatever happened to this one particle would be happening with this particle, not just at the same time, not just in the same way, but at the same time. A complete unified existence between these two distinct particles, yet light years apart. That a proton emerging from the sun, despite the distance that it's got to travel before our naked eye will see it, from the experience of the proton, that proton and the sun's proton it came from are experiencing that moment exactly at the same time. I know, I can barely understand it. It's why Einstein called it spooky mechanics. It was basically magic in their minds. And yet last year, two people won the Nobel Prize, essentially proving that this quantum entanglement actually takes place. What's my point? My point is that God has written into the fabric of the cosmos pictures of his theology and truth. Just as these two particles are completely separate from each other, and yet everything that happens to the one, if you push this particle, the other is pushed. If you spin this particle, that particle's automatically spinned. Whatever happens to this one particle happens to the other. So it is with our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we come into his, a relationship with him through baptism, we are entangled with Jesus, so cosmically entangled that whatever happens to him happens to us. Whatever is true of him is now true of us. This is the entanglement of the gospel. Solidarity, sameness, unity with Christ. And in our baptism, here's what we see as we open up Matthew chapter 3 this morning. We see that we, by amazing grace, are so entangled with Jesus, so in solidarity with Jesus because of those baptismal waters, so united to Christ that what happens to him happens to us that therefore we are united in his baptismal waters. Our baptism baptizes us into his baptismal waters. That we're also baptized into his baptismal wounds, the means by which all that actually is gonna take place. But not only are we baptized, entangled in his baptismal waters and entangled and united and in solidarity with his baptismal wounds, but we're also entangled in his baptismal work now in the world. 
He entangles us in such a way with himself that now his work of bringing righteousness to the nations is now our work on his behalf. And so first, we see through baptism that we have been baptized, we've been so entangled with Christ through these baptismal waters that we have in our experience those same baptismal waters. We are baptized into his baptismal waters. What happened to Jesus at the Jordan happens to us as we go through those waters. Chapter three of Matthew's gospel, verses 16 and 17, gives us an amazing light show. I mean, it's the most incredible baptism that has ever taken place in humankind. I mean, I've been at the Jordan River. I've stood there and I've seen people get baptized in the Jordan. And it's cool, you're at the Jordan, but I ain't never seen this, that he comes up of the water and heaven is opened. And that's not just like a little parting of the clouds. No, it's a description in the Greek of literally the divide between heaven and earth being momentarily opened. No division between God and man in that moment. Heaven opened. The spirit coming in bodily form. And by the way, if you think it was like a nice little, like, like a dove, like nice little flittering doves, like, oh, isn't it so sweet? We think of Jesus and the dove coming. I'll tell you, doves are not gentle. Okay, this is the empowering presence of God coming into the moment. Alexander the Great, when his armies would storm into communities, they were referred to as coming on their enemies like the dove. Why? Because if I had a dove in my hands right now and I let that dove loose in this room, you'd all be ducking and covering. Doves are not gentle. They go everywhere. It's crazy. People run into this at weddings. They're like, wouldn't it be wonderful and release like 30, 40 doves? And then everyone's like, oh my gosh. It's, a, it's insane. It's, it's so powerful. And that's what's happening. In that moment, Jesus comes out. Heaven is opened. Literally, the spirit comes in mighty power. And a voice speaks, you're my son whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And friends, what happens in that moment for Jesus, though it's all those fireworks to be beheld, happens in our baptisms. You know, we had a few baptisms this morning at the nine o'clock service. And all the people there could see was the water, the people, the, you know, the loving family and friends and sponsors and godparents. They heard the words but they couldn't see what was actually happening beneath the surface. And this is why we call it a sacrament. The definition of a sacrament, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. In other words, the baptism is a sacrament because we see with our eyes this moment, and yet it's a picture of what is truly happening beneath the surface. Though you can't see it in every baptism, it looks like Jesus. In every baptism, heaven is opened to you and I through those waters. There is no division and no separation between God and man any longer. Heaven is open. The door is wide open. You can walk right in. And the Spirit has come. That power of God pours into your life to empower, yes, even you and I to be able to live differently, to live more like Christ in this world for his glory, to do more than we think is even possible in our lives. And that voice comes in a world that is so yearning to understand who am I? What is my identity? Where do I find it? That voice speaks indelibly over our lives. You're my child. I love you. With you, I'm well pleased. This 
is the truth that happens in every baptism because we have been entangled with Jesus. What's happening in his baptism, therefore, is happening in ours. All of this. Can you imagine it? Reminds me of the story of Bishop Fry. He was an Anglican bishop of Colorado who died just a few years ago. Bishop Fry uh, had his son. The story is that his son one day was down in the basement of their house Uh, And he was caught by his grandmother, the son of the bishop, playing pool with the bishop's staff. You know, the crozier, the bishop's staff. I don't know if he like just ran out of pool cues or something, but he was just using the bishop's crook to, you know, play pool. And the grandmother came down and was horrified and said, you can't do that. That's a sacred object. And the son said, I'm a sacred object. I've been baptized. (laughs) That was a bit petulant but it's good theology. It's true. Because of those waters, because we've been joined with Jesus' own baptismal waters, all that has been said over Jesus in that moment has now been said over us. All that is true of Jesus' baptism is now true of us. Heaven opened. The Spirit has come. The voice of God has spoken. This is who you are, regardless of how you feel about you today. As Isaiah chapter 43 says, fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. And then verse four of Isaiah 43, you are precious in my eyes and I love you. I mean, for some people this morning, that's all you need to hear in this sermon right there. You can just stop and go spend the rest of the week thinking about that. That this is what God has said to you over you in your baptism, whether you feel it or not, and that will not change. Jesus' status before the Father can't change, and you're entangled with him. Therefore, your status before the Father cannot change. Do you hear the gospel? But it's not just that we're entangled in his baptismal waters, that we're united with him in those baptismal waters in the Jordan. We're also entangled and united and in solidarity with his baptismal wounds. It's not just his baptism in the Jordan, it's his baptism in Jerusalem that we're also connected with. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, I have a baptism yet to undergo and how distressed am I until that baptism is accomplished. Now this is long after his Jordan baptism. He's talking about the baptism coming at the end of Holy Week in Jerusalem. He's talking about the fact that he will come to Jerusalem And where the baptismal waters in the Jordan are meant to demonstrate a dying under the water and then coming back up to life, Jesus will then literally die in this baptism in Jerusalem and come back to life. That he will bear the sins of humanity on his own shoulders. And we need to hear this. We need to hear about these baptismal wounds because the baptismal waters... This incredible thing that, you know, heaven is opened and the spirit has come and I'm a child of God that's loved. And I mean, all of that, how could it be true of you and I if it weren't for that baptismal wounds? That that moment that comes in Jerusalem. I mean, it's kind of like the group of guys have told the story before. It's not a true story, but it could be the four guys who are getting together. They've got an accountability group. They're going to get really honest with each other. They're just going to share all the deep secrets and all the weaknesses in their lives and like just be really, really tight and, 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 you know, walk together as brothers. And so the first guy says, I confess that my weakness is women. Second one says, I confess that my weakness is alcohol. Third one says, I confess that my weakness is gambling. 
The fourth one says, I confess that my weakness is gossip and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) See, the problem, friends, is we all know deep down that we have deep wounds within us. We are deeply broken. We are deeply ashamed of the things we've done. We've got a society that tells us to push that aside and not pay attention to it, but it's true. We are creatures that do carry shame with us from what we've done. We are unworthy of the love that has been poured into our lives. If it were not for the fact that Jesus at Jerusalem takes upon himself everything that's wrong in us. That's the baptism of wounds That's the Jerusalem baptism that we are in solidarity with Jesus. You know, it's interesting in the Matthew text, just before Jesus shows up for baptism, Matthew's, I mean, uh, John the Baptist is preaching to the crowds, right? He's giving them a big old, you know, turn and burn sermon, right? You brood of vipers and you got to turn around. And then he says, what does he say about the Messiah coming? He says, one is coming who's mightier than I, the sandals of whom I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. And then he says this in verse 12. He says, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor. The wheat he will gather into his barn and the chaff he will burn up with unquenchable fire. And it's a horrifying image. The bad stuff's gonna get burned up. The Messiah comes and the bad stuff gets burned up. And John was prophesying absolutely correctly. Jesus comes to burn up the chaff, but the difference is he becomes the chaff on our behalf. He takes the role of the chaff in that prophecy so that we instead can take his role of the wheat. He's the only one that's ever been wheat. There's been no wheat in the history of humanity except for Jesus, a person who actually lives for God. Psalm 14 says, God looks down from heaven upon the children of man to see if there's any who seek after God, any who do good. No, there's not anyone that does good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says in Romans. There's only one person who's ever been wheat in this world, and it's Jesus on his own merit. And so Jesus comes and says, I'll be the chaff, and you'll be the wheat. I'll take the punishment. I will die on your behalf so you can live. I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I love that at the baptismal liturgy at the beginning, the opening prayer in the prayer book will say at the time of baptism, let us now pray to God the Father to give to these candidates that which they cannot have on their own. That is grace. That is what God is doing. That is the baptism of his wounds, his Jerusalem baptism. For Romans chapter six tells us Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried, and yes, the word is buried, we've been buried with Christ in death through baptism so that just as the Father raised Jesus, so we shall walk in newness of life. You see that entanglement again? Because Jesus has died and risen again, if we're entangled together with him, then we too have already died and risen again. We are already standing in that newness of life because of what God has done. It's the reason why the celebrant will say at Holy Communion every week as we break that bread, Alleluia, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. It is finished. It is finished. This is what it means 
that we have been joined to Jesus, not only in his baptismal waters, but in his baptismal wounds. If we're entangled with Jesus, we have died and risen to newness of life already. What is true of Jesus is now true of us. This is why Luther, every time he felt he was being tempted by the devil or being convinced that maybe he wasn't worthy, he would shout at the devil, I have been baptized because this is the truth upon which we stand. Never our worthiness, we're not. Never because we wanted it enough, we didn't. But because of what happens in those waters. I've been baptized, and if you've been baptized, that's true of you as well. We've been entangled in his baptismal waters. We've been entangled in his baptismal wounds, the baptism of the Jordan and the baptism of Jerusalem. But even more, it's not over. We've also then been entangled in his baptismal work. See, Jesus intends to bring this to everybody, not just a few of us. It's meant to go to the ends of the earth. That's why when John wants to prevent him in verse 14, it says, you know, John would have prevented him. I need to be baptized by you. What does Jesus say in verse 15? He says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. That line is just filled with gospel. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, what we do now in this moment, John, you don't quite even realize, but John, what we do in this moment is gonna fulfill not just a little bit of righteousness, It's not going to be a little sprinkling of righteousness. This is going to fulfill all righteousness. The right relationship between man and God in this moment is going to burst out into the world so that all, all would have the opportunity to come into that right standing with God. This is Jesus' baptismal work. He is seeking that we all would be entangled with him in baptism. He wants the world to come to him and be entangled with him, to stand in solidarity with each and every one. And so, what does Jesus say after his resurrection? After he's gone through his Jerusalem baptism, he's died, he's risen again, and he says to his church, Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, therefore, go ye, in the old King James, go ye therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, here's what's encouraging with that. So what he's saying now is, okay, now you go and baptize. You go get more people to be linked in with me, to be entangled with me, to stand in solidarity with me in my baptism. Go help others to have now what you have. That's what he's saying to the church. And here's what's important to remember is that he's saying it in the plural form of the you. This is why Texans have it best when it comes to English readings of John chapter or Matthew chapter 28, because we have a way to say the word you that fully implies the plural that most of the nation doesn't get. Because when we want to say you in a way that's plural, we say, right? Even more so if I'm talking the whole room, it's all y'all. And that's actually the best translation of the Greek there in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore, all y'all, make disciples, baptizing, teaching them. And what's amazing about that word is it means he's not saying you go make make disciples, you go baptize, you go teach. He's saying all y'all. 
Because here's where we freak out, if we're honest, as Christians. This is the part of the sermon where we go, okay, now it's coming home. Like, what am I going to do this week to reach someone so they can understand the gospel and one day join in the same baptism? This is where we start freaking out. Don't worry. Next week, I'm going to talk about evangelism. (laughs) Half of you, therefore, will not show up now that I've told you. No, but seriously, come. It's, again, another encouraging word of the gospel. But here's what we need to remember. We have been living in this such individualistic world where when we read passages like Matthew 28 about go you and make disciples, baptize and teach, we completely individualize. We're like, oh my goodness, what have I done this week for Jesus? And the truth is, it's the church. It's the people of God together that are making disciples baptizing and teaching. We're the body of Christ, many members of one body. We are all working together in the incredible sovereignty of God to make this take place. It's not up to any of us. It's up to all of us under Christ. I think of when I was in Ottawa, I've told the story before, this coffee shop across the street from our church that I went to every day. And I did that on purpose, pick one coffee shop, keep going there because then I'd get to know the staff. It was intentional to have a sort of intentional, long-standing presence there. And sometimes I wore my collar, sometimes I didn't. It didn't matter. I was going to get to know these people slowly but surely. It was an evangelistic choice. Now, when I say evangelistic choice, I don't mean that I was slapping down a tract immediately before I paid for my coffee. I don't mean that kind of evangelism. I mean just getting to know these people and just see what God does. It took me five years, five years until one of the people that worked at the coffee shop on their own volition said, you know, I know you're a Christian. I know you're a pastor. I'd love to chat with you. And I said, okay. And we did, we chatted. And we had these deep chats and she just opened everything up, poured out her heart. There's a lot going on. You know, she was not a believer. I was able to share the gospel with her. We met several times. I'd see her at the coffee shop and then she was gone. And I was gone. And I thought, well, I guess I didn't do my job, right? Man, I didn't seal the deal. Didn't didn't get her to pray the sinner's prayer. Didn't get her to the moment of baptism, right? Didn't disciple her further from that. I thought, you know, it's gone, right? That's an individualistic mindset. I came back to Ottawa. I told the early service was before I left, but I remembered actually, you know, it was after. I came back to visit Ottawa about a year later and guess who was at at that coffee shop? Same girl. And she was gushing. And she said, I'm so glad you're here because I can tell you now I've become a believer and I'm attending a church. And guess what? It wasn't my church. She was attending another church. Again, that's a whole other sermon, but it's not about getting them to our church. (laughs) I've been baptized. I'm a believer. I'm learning how to grow my faith. And I sat there amazed and I was humbled because again, I had had such an individualistic mindset. Up to that moment, I thought I had failed. I hadn't failed. I'd been a small piece of many pieces in her life that finally together had brought her to a place of faith. This is what it means, all y'all, that we make disciples, we baptize, we teach. We have been brought into solidarity with Christ, not only in his baptismal waters, not only in his baptismal wounds, which makes it possible, but in his baptismal work. It's for the whole world. You know, just as Jesus wasn't baptized for his own sake, but baptized for our sake. 
Just as Jesus was not baptized for his own sake, but for our sake, so similarly, we are baptized not only for our own sake. Yes, that's where the distinction with Jesus, we, we, we need it. It is for our sake, but it's not only for our sake. Your baptism is not only for your sake, but your baptism too, like Christ's, is for the sake of the world, for the sake of others being entangled with Christ. This, friends, this is why Jesus was baptized. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.